Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. We are in part two of a four-part series called To Be Continued. The story of our eternity. What happens when we die? The first thing that you are going to be wait, or I will be waiting on is a biblical concept called the rapture. Okay? It's a biblical concept called the rapture. And it is most described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Let me read those to you. For the Lord, this is the Apostle Paul talking. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves and together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Okay, it's a rapture. What is going to happen is at some point in time, God is going to say, you know what, that's enough. And he's going to come get all of the believers. And for the first time since the Garden of Eden, every believer will be in a place called paradise, and the only people left on earth are going to be unbelievers, and those people along with the earth are going to go through a thing called the tribulation. Now, we will cover that in our Bible study. I will not be talking about it today, but that is what's going on that begins the tribulation is the rescue of all of God's people from the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, right, so that we are taken to a place called paradise. It is the next huge step in God's kingdom and for eternity. Um, there are no believers left on earth, as I've already said. This is the whole point, right? Is that Jesus rescues us from the earth before the earth goes into the tribulation. Um, the rapture is the event Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, when he said, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So you don't know when the rapture is going to take place. Okay? It's going to, Jesus said it'll come like a thief in the night, right? So whether we die or the rapture happens, there's something that's going to affect your eternity, eternal outcome during your lifetime. Okay? But after the rapture, we have a pretty definitive timeline of how long the rest of God's preparation for the new heaven and earth will happen, okay? So when the rapture happens, that is going to set forth a new timeline of what's going on, and for seven years, earth years, we will remain in paradise until the end of that deal, until the end of the seven years. There are on one of two milestones after you ask Jesus to save you, okay? You die, right? And if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. That cannot be changed. Or the rapture is going to happen before you die, and you'll be taken to heaven without having to go through bodily death. Now, what I want you to understand most about the rapture, okay, it is the next biblical prophecy that has not come true. And there are no prerequisites to fulfill before that can happen. 
Now, there was a prerequisite. Before the rapture happened, the nation of Israel had to be a sovereign nation, okay? The nation of Israel had to be a sovereign nation that had not existed since 600 B.C. Israel has not been a sovereign nation from 600 B.C. until 1947 or 48, depending on, you know, which way you look at it, right? So for that long of a time, Israel did not exist as a sovereign nation. They were still God's chosen people, but they were not a sovereign nation, and Israel had to be a sovereign nation before the rapture happens. So literally what that means is nothing else has to happen before the rapture happens. It could happen today. Are you ready? Because when that happens, for us, we'll be taken up. But if you die... I mean, after the rapture happens, I mean, you still have a chance to believe if you don't, if you didn't die. Hope you weren't in a plane that, uh, you're probably praying to Jesus if your pilot got raptured and you're falling out of the sky, I bet you're praying. Listen, there's something about the rapture. You know how, <laughs> you ever have that scary feeling when you wake up and you can't find anybody, you just know everybody's been raptured except you? I have that all the time, right? I'm like, where is everybody? Uh-oh, uh-oh, listen. When the rapture happens, that means millions of people, millions of believers will instantly be removed from this earth. It will be cataclysmic for this earth. And it says, as we read, that uh, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Everybody on earth is going to see him. There's not going to be one of these things. Oh, did I miss the rapture? No, everybody's going to see it. And unbelievers are going to hide and cower while believers are taken up. What happens? Those taken to heaven will instantly be transformed from body to soul and taken to paradise for the next big event. So the first big event when you die, once you get to paradise, the first thing that's going to happen if you're not a part of the rapture is you will be waiting on the rapture and it could come in the next three minutes and it could not come for 3,000 years. I don't know. Jesus himself said he don't know, but it is coming. It is coming, right? The second thing you will wait on when you are in paradise with Jesus is you are waiting on the wedding. I mean, we are called the bride of Christ. In John 3, 29, the John the Baptist even talks about this wedding, okay? In John 3, 29, John says this, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. The bride of Christ, okay, is the New Testament saints. That's New Testament believers, okay? New Testament. The bride of Christ, the New Testament saints, is finally joined with the bridegroom. The bridegroom's friends that John talked about is the nation of Israel that has believed in Jesus that are in paradise as well. John is there. Moses is there. But they are all nation of Israel people, right? All of those people. They are not the bride of Christ. We, Gentile believers, are the bride of Christ. They are the nation of Israel. And they stand and they honor us for believing in a Messiah that we've never seen, that they, re well, they didn't reject him, you know, not Moses and them, but you know what I mean. 
The nation of Israel honors the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ honors the nation of Israel. This wedding is characterized by a statement that I, well, I don't believe that Jesus made it. The Bible says he said it. In Matthew 28, 20, I want you to think about what John said, that the bridegroom's friends are there to hear his what? His vows, correct? And in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, and be sure of this, I am with you always. So now where Jesus was a spiritual inside of us, now he is bodily with us and will never leave us bodily again. That is the wedding. That is what it's characterized by. No more is everything just spiritual and woo-woo and prayer. We don't have to necessarily pray. We can talk to him face-to-face now, and I'm sure we'll still pray, obviously. Don't take me wrong when I said that. The spiritual promise is made manifest. He is our God, and he will be with us always. But then we're waiting on one other thing. We've waited on the rapture. That's when all the believers are gathered up and taken to heaven. And for the first time since Adam and Eve, it is marked by all believers are in one place and all unbelievers are in another. Okay? And then the rapture and then the wedding. And now if it can't get, if it can get more exciting, guess what we get to go to? We get to go to the award ceremony, baby. And if you think the NFR award ceremony is cool, wait till you get to God's award ceremony. Because see, listen, as believers, we are judged for the things that we do. But understand this, that we, it is not a condemnation judgment. It means that you will be rewarded for even the smallest good deed that you do. You will never be criticized for the things you didn't do. You will only be judged for the good things that you were due. And if you want a comparison of what the other group, not Israel, I'm talking about the unbelievers, they get judged, they get no credit for any of the good that they did, and they only get punished for all the bad. That's the difference. In believers, our, our judgment is a reward judgment. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, the apostle Paul says this, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? And what he means by that is not that just one person's going to get the prize, but that we must live our lives as if there's only one prize. That's the amount of effort that we should put out. Um, But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And, you know, there's different interpretations about everything, but what I'm going to tell you about at the awards ceremony are the five crowns found in Scripture that are said to be awarded to believers, okay? These are individual awards for the bride of Christ. Five different crowns in no particular order, okay? The first crown... It's called the imperishable crown. It is for those that are disciplined, okay? Disciplined, that have uh, displayed mastery over themselves, or I guess it could be in theology or something like that. Think of a master clinician, okay? If awards in heaven were given out to, 
you know, people like that, somebody that has spent their entire life working towards something that are considered the best, that's a mastery of something. And I'm not saying that you have to be number one, but you've poured all of your life into it. It's called the imperishable crown, and it is given to those that are disciplined. The second crown is called the crown of rejoicing. It is for evangelists. It is for those that go tell others about Jesus Christ. And if I could, if I could find a cowboy illustration for the crown of rejoicing, it'd be those that like to go gather wild cattle. Okay. That, that's what it's for. Those that, that want to go out and they want to bring in the lost and bandage those that are injured. You know what I mean? Telling people about Jesus Christ. And you know what? I don't think, I think if you do it one time, you probably get that crown, right? I mean, cause it's, it's a crown of telling somebody else about Jesus and nowhere in it does it say we can just have one crown. I'm telling you right now, I'm going for them all. I want every one of them. So we've talked about the, imperishable crown. That's like a master clinician, right? We've talked about the crown of rejoicing. That is the wild cow gatherers. That's the evangelists. The third one is the crown of righteousness, okay? That is for those that are ready for Jesus to come back, that wait for the, for the fulfillment of those promises that he has given us, okay? If you want a cowboy illustration about who's going to get the crown of righteousness, it's those that pull down their ropes every, like, they're ready in a heartbeat. Man, when the, when the boss says rope them, when he, when him comes out of his mouth, they've already thrown three loops, right? Those, somebody that's ready for God, ready to do his bidding, ready for him to come back, ready for whatever. God, I'm ready. I'm here. Why not me? Right? That's the crown of righteousness. The fourth crown. The fourth crown is the crown of glory. The clown, the, the clown, the crown. That's probably going to be mine. And the clown of glory goes to Kevin Weatherby. <laughs> the crown of glory. That is for the disciple. Okay. That is for the disciple. And if you really want a, a, a cowboy illustration for who's going to get the crown of glory, it's that dependable ranch hand. That guy that you, you probably never see hiding her hair of, but he does his job and he does it well. He doesn't expect a lot of fanfare or anything like that. He's just your dependable ranch guy that always does his best at everything. That's the crown of glory. And finally, and finally, the crown of life, the crown of life, which is actually for those that died for their faith. It is those that gave it all for the brand. I mean, gave it all. Not a little bit, not just one. Like, they gave, they made the ultimate sacrifice for their faith is the crown of life. What happens when we die? Well, the first thing that happens is Jesus comes and gets us. And the second thing that happens is he takes us to a place called paradise, where we will be reunited with those that have, that have gone before us. And if we happen to die before the rapture, then that is what we eagerly await in heaven is the rapture of the sign of the second coming and when we will be resurrected and all of this really, really cool stuff, right? We wait on the rapture because the rapture will signal the wedding and the wedding will signal the award ceremony. Stephen?
Would you mind getting the light? And now for part two. <laughs> Might need to. Finally, at the unseen behest and behold sights not meant for my eyes and sounds meant only for God. It is overwhelmingly beautiful. It is paradise. It is the garden of God. It is the jewel of I am. And everyone is here. There are family, friends, acquaintances, and strangers. There's an excitement building in the air like a thunderstorm in a drought-stricken land. Something wonderful and new is coming. It is inevitable. It is invincible. It is exceptional. And it is eternal. And it is coming. The rapture. Have you ever been to the symphony? All the musicians are warming up and tuning their instruments. But then the conductor walks up, taps the stand, and then it happens. That breath of a moment before everything begins. It lasts but a moment, yet it stretches in expectation of wonder. No conductor's wand fell, and yet a sound like no other echoed through the heavens and onto the earth. It was a shout within a lion's roar. Every atomic particle in all of creation shuddered at the word of God, the Lion of Judah the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then a trumpet blasted and all of the heavenly host erupted in shouts of glory for the one that was slain. The lamb had been slaughtered, but now the lion as he is now begins to take back what is rightfully his, starting with all the believers on earth. They come like a flood and each has the expression of amazement and wonder on their face as they behold paradise for the first time. Some fall to their knees and others have a joy that cannot be contained and must come out in laughter or song. I see reunions with loved ones and new brotherships being made. I visit with a guy from Nebraska that had given his life to Jesus because of a cowboy ministry he found online. We visited for what might have been hours or even days. I know that sounds strange, but when you don't get tired, thirsty, hungry, mad, or annoyed, you can actually listen and hear people for the very first time. I don't get tired of it, and I don't think I ever will. Along the way, we picked up others and heard their stories. I bet you're wondering what I meant by along the way. I was hoping you picked up on that. I can't explain it, but we've all been walking towards the throne of God. It was funny when I first noticed it because we'd been doing it the whole time. But you see, that's how things work here. You instinctively know what to do and where to go, even if you don't know what you're doing or where you're going. It's awesome. Distances are strange here. Ever since my death, I figured that I could see, if I, since I could see the throne of God, if I wanted to, I could get there in a three or four hours time. It feels like we've been walking for weeks now and it still seems the same distance, but closer somehow. You know what? I don't know. I don't care. Carpe diem, seize the day, live in the moment. Yeehaw, because in paradise I can because of I am. And I'm talking like Matthew McConaughey because I'm walking beside Matthew McConaughey. He's a cool guy. We have mutual friends and now that we're brothers, it's cool because we did. And it's especially cool because of I am. The 144,000. All of a sudden there are new folks appearing in a different manner. The arrival of this new group of believers is unlike anything I've ever seen before. These are the martyrs of the 144,000 Jews that have accepted Jesus during the tribulation, or as the Bible calls it, the day of the Lord. They are placed in a special area underneath the throne of God where they eagerly await the Lion of Judah. It is not revenge they are after, but justice and completion of the kingdom of God that was foretold long ago, the wedding. 
when all the 144,000 Jewish believers during the time of the tribulation on earth are killed for their faith, it is time for the wedding. We are all gathered before the throne, and I don't recall what I had on before, but now I am clothed in white linen. And I look good, y'all. I look good. We are clothed in the glory and splendor of God himself. We are made beautiful by the grace of our Savior and our bridegroom. Angels are singing everywhere. They don't use words. They use glory to make music for the ancient one. Just because there are no words, though, doesn't mean we can't understand exactly what they are singing. It's hard to describe, but it is amazing. No royal wedding on earth can compare with this grandeur. Every place you look is a testament and honor to what the groom has prepared for the bride. All of heaven stares in wonder and at the sights never beheld, even here in paradise. But then all of our eyes are drawn to what wasn't there before. The groom now stands before God, and I cannot take my eyes off of him. Some folks said there wasn't marriage in paradise, but there is. We're not married to each other, but to Jesus, and I cannot wait. This isn't the same marriage we had on earth. That one was for love, fellowship, and reproduction, but this one, no, this one, this one is for completion. I'm not sure when I realized it, but Jesus is looking right at me. It's like we're the only two in existence. And we're both standing before the ancient of ancients. Then Jesus says to me, Kevin, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age that never ends. You honored me in life, and now I allow you to fully share in my glory. Ask anything in my name, and it will be given unto you. Lord, I said, the only thing I want is your presence for all of eternity. My eyes went wide when all of a sudden, Jesus' eyes were deeper than they were before. It's like the black of the now held vast galaxies. I was locked in the kind of love that is beyond comfort. And his voice seemed to do the same. And all of a sudden, I understood what I was looking at. I was looking at the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one. That's when a voice no louder than a whisper, but more explosive than a million suns detonating at once said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Kevin, you are my beloved, and your request has been granted. You will never leave my presence again to Telestate. It is done. I bowed my head in worship. Something unlocked inside of me in the presence of God filled me. No, it inundated me with his love. It's like the physical presence of God abides in me and me in him. And when my eyes opened, I was standing with all my brothers and sisters again. There are millions and millions of us here. We are from every continent and nation, but now we are one. We are the bride of Christ, the award ceremony. Then there was a cacophony of sights and sounds as five massive angels arrived on the Bema next to Jesus. Each one bowed and handed him a crown, and all went silent as Jesus spoke. You have finished the race and have won the victory. I do not give as the world did with perishable things, but to you I give imperishable and eternal. Let us celebrate and honor, and honor your deeds. If heaven had a slideshow, this was it. Every good thing all of us ever did now showed for all of paradise to see. 
Wave after wave of cheering echoed throughout the heavens. I know you think this sounds boring, but it is the greatest thing I've ever seen. We could see how God had been working through us and strengthening all of our good deeds. I don't know how long it went on, and quite frankly, I would have stayed right there for eternity. But something else happened. When the show was over, there was no sadness, but an excited hush that fell over all of us. Then Jesus was standing before me again, and he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. To you, I give the imperishable crown, the crown of righteousness and the crown of rejoicing. Once again, I bowed my head. The only words I could say were, thank you, my Lord. When I raised my head, we were all somewhere else now, all wearing our crowns. We were standing on a staging ground preparing for war. Standing beside me was a white horse and my soul quickened at the thought of what was coming. It was time for Jesus to step back on earth and defeat the Antichrist. Israel's Messiah was coming to rescue her from the tribulation. The Lord was heading back to earth to claim what was his by right, prophecy, and creation. He was riding back on a white horse, and the armies of heaven were with him. We are riding back. And if you come back next week, you'll find out what happened. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your, for your wisdom of where you teach us through your word. But I also thank you for our imagination. When we can, we can imagine the wonders that you have prepared for those that love you. And God, that's what we do. We love you imperfectly now, but we long for the time when we are reunited with you face to face. God, I pray that everyone listening asks you to be their savior, that they long for what we've been talking about, of what the Bible tells us is going to happen and the fun that we have in trying to imagine what that life will be like with the little you gave us in your word to prepare us, to give us hope, and to give us joy in times of trouble. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.